Oh, cool. All right, I think we're live. Monero Talk, uh, episode six, I believe. Six, Brian. What is it? What what yeah, episode we at? Five or six? I think it's six. <laughs> we're going strong. Um, we have with us Paul Shapiro, which I, I don't even know how we landed a guest like this already, being a couple of nobodies in the Monero community. But mm-hmm. uh, I guess that's how this community works, which is really awesome. Uh, everybody's really approachable and uh seemingly willing to uh to work together and talk about things so it's pretty awesome that uh we're able to have you today yeah thanks for having me on uh yeah if you want to get right into it if you want to tell us i mean i know i only know you as uh, only recently heard about you when fluffy pony i think passed the my monero torch onto you i don't know if that's the right characterization but uh that's when i first learned about you and your involvement in monero Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So I've been a, a mobile app developer for quite a long time. You know, right when the iPhones came out, I started building mobile apps. Uh, didn't really know what I was doing at first. Uh, ended up building a ton of different applications through the years. Um, and uh, I ended up looking for, you know, um, uh, a space where people were really looking for a mobile application because I had built so many different things and none of them really landed. And, uh, you know, eventually it happened upon Monero and no one was really doing a mobile app for Monero and everyone was saying, you know, you really need a mobile application that's going to take things to the next level. So I was like, okay, that's the easy part for me. So um, started asking around in the community and uh, I think I was in Monero Dev, the IRC chat room. And I was asking like, what would people want to see in a, a mobile wallet? And um, Fluffy Pony chimed in and he said, well, you know, if you really want to work on a mobile wallet, you can work on my Monero. And so we started talking, and a few weeks later, I was working on it. That's awesome. So what? how, how long ago was that when you... Uh, Gosh, when you... that was uh, late 2016. I think like uh, September or October 2016. Okay. I think Alpha Bay had just added Monero. Oh, okay. Yeah, that definitely really put Monero on the radar, right? That was kind of a... Yep. That's what launched Yep, yep. So were you involved in crypto before that or no. was it you're really coming more from the standpoint of an app developer looking for a, a project that had a need? Yeah, definitely from the standpoint of an app developer, you know, just looking around for people who were really dying for a mobile app because um, I didn't really have too much to do at the time. I was sort of just like looking out for my next thing. Um, I heard about Bitcoin way back in, I think, 2012 or 2011. I was working on another startup called Pair. It's called Couple nowadays. It's a messaging app for couples. And a, a buddy of mine uh, ended up working on a uh, an application called Bitcoin with Friends. <laughs> and now that I think about it, it's actually pretty funny because I think he was doing it through Facebook as a Facebook app, which doesn't really make a huge amount of sense. But um, yeah, I mean, at, at the time, I didn't really think anything of it. I think he sent me like you know a Bitcoin or something. Just no big deal. You know, here's one Bitcoin. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. I'm not really sure what this is. <laughs> so that's really interesting that you came in. So it's, it's interesting that, cause most people, I feel like their path is usually that they're like crypto first. Um, but right. you were more app developer first looking for a project. So then you probably have a pretty interesting perception of the space a little, maybe a little bit less, uh, clouded than most who are kind of in this cultish <laughs> environment uh so what how do you feel about it now that you've been in it for a while and yeah what was it like jumping in at first just going from you know app development 
into learning about Monero and then developing with Fluffy? I mean, right. Yeah, that, that's an interesting question because I'm not sure if I've ever really thought about it that way. Um, one of the things I noticed right as I got in is that a lot of my preconceptions were wrong. You know, as I started talking to Ricardo, Fluffy Pony more, started talking to Pigeons, um, another of our team members, VT Nerd, uh, they, they started basically educating me about a lot of the misconceptions that I had. Uh, you know, I didn't really understand Nakamoto consensus at first. I didn't really realize how the different pieces fit together. Um, I also, um, I saw a lot of what I guess could be termed propaganda floating around in the Bitcoin space. And, you know, I had my own impressions of that at the time. It, it actually seemed to me like, uh, you know, r slash Bitcoin on Reddit was uh, filled with a bunch of people who didn't really know what they were doing. And so I started to look at r slash BTC and it sort of sounded like what they were saying was correct, but I didn't have any way to tell the difference. And, you know, I started learning more about the history of Bitcoin when I was working, when I started working with Ricardo. And I guess this might be a little bit of a controversial point of view, but I ended up finding out that the people behind r slash Bitcoin or, you know, Bitcoin core, a lot of the people who work at Blockstream are actually extremely talented people. And they're not, I mean, it's, I don't think any of these people who are, you know, talking back and forth really know whether or not they have, you know, significant ulterior motives. So it might just be the case that they're just trying to do the best they can. And then getting into Monero was really interesting for me because seeing that huge back and forth, I noticed that it was much easier for people to contribute to Monero. And so I started to ask why. And that was one of the things that drew me in. That's really cool. I think you might be the first person that I've at least ever met that didn't start with Bitcoin and then look at other cryptocurrencies. Like you literally went from outside the cryptoverse, jumped right into Monero. That's not a usual path. You know, it's it's interesting that you, you landed that way. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't really sure what I should get involved with. You know, it's it's very difficult, you know, even for a person like me who has some software engineering experience to tell which of these projects are really legitimate. So have you kind of become like a, a Monero fanboy or crypto fanboy as you went down this rabbit hole or are you just still kind of like app developer first and this is just kind of one, just one of your projects? Well, um, I have sort of a, like a science bent. So I like to hang out with the researchers behind Monero, like the people in Monero Research Lab. And I've been learning a lot from them, you know, been getting... Uh, been been being made to look kind of silly when I ask questions, but you know it, it's good to be able to do that. Um, and in that sense, I think I've become quite a fan of the technologies behind Monero because they, you know, it's very well established cryptography. They might be applied in slightly novel ways, um, but it's clear that there's been a systematic approach to designing this system so that all the different pieces work together. And the people behind it really understand the trade-offs. You know, they're, they're doing analyses of uh, chain reaction attacks or, you know, chain reaction de-anonymization uh, all the way back to the first Monero Research Lab paper. Um, you know, looking at all the different moving parts of Monero, I think has definitely convinced me. And the other side of it is that the community behind it uh, is very open-minded. Um, their priorities are definitely on making Monero into a currency you know, and making sure that the, the base layer is really sound. And that's definitely very appealing to me. 
it's funny. Speaking of the base layer, I was I was driving home from work today and I was thinking about Bitcoin's layer two and how they're trying to make it more like a currency on layer two. And it's kind of like with Monero, I see us moving more as reducing the friction of payments on layer two with lightning. You know, they want to add privacy and fungibility on layer two. And we're looking to not so much concern ourselves with the privacy since it's on base layer and make it reduce the friction of the payment itself. Right. It's kind of funny how we're, we're going to end up at the same place as them somewhat, but they're doing it, you know, the opposite way. Yeah. I mean, with Bitcoin, it's, uh, you know, like you say, it's, you know, partially about privacy. Um, I think part of it is also they're looking to it as a way to transact and then settle back to the main chain. Oh, certainly. Yeah. But I'm and just then, thinking a lot of people are pushing the privacy narrative of lightning. Yeah. They're not so much just cheap payments, but right. That it's going to solve everything. Yeah. And I right. don't think working that way. Yeah. Um, it's difficult for me to see it working that way because eventually, you know, you're going to have to settle back. So I think at best it's going to be sort of like a mixing solution. And the, the interesting thing about Monero is that, um, you know, it's got that baked in to the main chain. And so, you know, I, th I think it might even be a legitimate argument that you can't really go the other way. You can't start without privacy and go towards privacy because inevitably you're going to be leaving these different traces. Um, that is actually something that we're dealing with in Monero with the, the whole poison output uh, tracking or trackability thing. Um, but, you know, there are so, so many fewer pieces that can be correlated. Um, so it's definitely much less of an issue. And the other aspect of it, of course, is that we can just, you know, fork if we want to, to a superior technology. So, um, yeah, definitely. I, I definitely think that, uh, yeah, for Monero, Lightning is going to be interesting from a payment standpoint. Because, you know, uh, from a basic level, all transaction data doesn't necessarily have to be stored forever. And that's really what you're paying for with those transaction fees. And so, you know, I think really what you care about at the end of the day is just the settlement uh, back to the main chain. Right. And now, so with Bulletproofs, when they come out next hard fork, do you think we'll see a major reduction in, in fee size, like they're saying, like the 80%? Is that what you guys are still looking, looking at? Yeah, that's definitely a rough estimate, but they're looking at that kind of reduction in transaction size. And uh, they're also, they also have to move towards a block weight model instead of a block size model. And so that's going to have uh, minor ramifications that have been analyzed and published. So, and, uh, sorry to interrupt, but so no. why, why do they want to move to a block weight like Bitcoin did? Uh, um, what kind of bonus is there, do you know? Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I don't have complete understanding of it. Okay. But um, yeah, I would have to review that. Yeah, I've like I understand the block weight argument on Bitcoin, uh, you know, because they didn't want to hard fork. This was a way to soft fork and allow blocks to expand. Mm. But on on Monero, we hard fork every six months. I, I don't know if maybe there must be more to it than just to keep it as a soft fork on you know Bitcoin. So. Right. Um, I think it has to do more with the economy aspect um, to keep certain incentives in place. Oh, oh, you know what? Yeah, that could be a good way to do it. Reduce the actual fees per transaction. It's almost like on Bitcoin, like you're paying for, they ship a lot of the stuff out of the transactional data that you're paying, you know, Satoshi's per byte for. 
mm-hmm. uh, using SegWit. So maybe that's what they're looking at as a way to, to dampen the fee size of every transaction. That's yeah. a good way to do it. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't even know they were thinking along those lines. That's really cool. Is there um, anything on GitHub about that? Yeah, it's actually, so I know it's been published on Reddit and then that just links to a paper. And the paper is an analysis which was written by Arctic Mine, who's one of the core team members. Really cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. So do you, do you think uh, do you think we're kind of, who's currently, I mean, this is kind of a big question. Who do you think is more currently more censorship resistant? Bitcoin, like which, okay, yeah, like who, like, or even, or which one is is more sound money as of today, or more censorship resistant as of today, or Monero, or you're off the show, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I mean, like, I would just love to hear people's opinion on that. You know, I I can ask everybody that question. You're gonna be disappointed because it's Dogecoin. It's not even Bitcoin. (laughs) so I, I think it's sort of a nuanced question. I think that there are different dimensions of soundness in this case that we have to look at. One of them is the hash power that's securing the network. I guess you could say that, okay, in Bitcoin, you've got ASICs running amok, but, you know, on the other, you know, on the other side of the coin, so to speak, uh, many more people might have access to those ASICs. It's also a much more well-established network. And so you have a lot more people. There's probably, you know, larger distribution of hash power all over the world. With Monero, obviously, you know, it's supposedly more ASIC resistant. So it might be the case that the hash power is more being generated by the sort of people you actually want to have securing your network instead of the sort of people you don't want to have securing your network. Of the world. Mm. All right, let me rephrase it. If you had to fund somebody's assassination anonymously today, <laughs> use Bitcoin or Monero? Well, obviously, (laughs) I mean, you let, but that's kind of like, if you think about it, like push comes to shove, which I don't understand why anybody's even using anything other than Monero on the dark markets. Is that just like uh, an information, like there's an education issue or? I mean, it's got to be like, you know, theoretically, but I wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, I mean, yeah. Looking at the technology, I definitely think it's got to be an education thing, Um, you know, because there are even some aspects of Tor that people find questionable. And Mm. so, you know, you want to make sure you cover as many different points of metadata leakage as you can. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Monero is considered fungible primarily for the reason that you can't really tell too much about the history of any given coin Mm -hmm. that that you're receiving. And so, yeah, for that reason... um, you know, it's, it's connected to the privacy aspect and people are going to choose it for that reason. So after bulletproofs, what do you see as kind of like the other big pillars or things that need to be done structurally to Monero to kind of get it to where it needs to be? Right. I, mean, I know it's a continuously evolving process. We're always going to be like fighting to keep Monero fungible and private, but are, are there some other big, big architectural changes that need to be made to the protocol? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Sarang, he's one of the researchers at the Monero Research Lab, uh, recently said that ring signatures are evil because, um, you know, they've, they've got this sort of, uh, I wouldn't call it intractable problem, but it's a somewhat, somewhat annoying problem where if a person has enough information about all the different outputs on the network, then they can start to de-anonymize and trace out everyone else. And so far, it looks like the major way to get around this is with ZK snarks, which requires a trusted setup. 
um, which is obviously a no-go. There, there is a lot of research into other options, ZK Starks, which supposedly doesn't require trusted setup. There's a variety of ZK Snarks where uh, the um, trusted setup ceremony can be um, performed by any number of people, and it doesn't have to be within a specific group. Um, so there's a, it's a very active area of research, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things, and that's, that's actually probably what's going to decide a lot of the future of these different currencies, you know, what kind of techniques you have to obscure the history of a given coin. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, I think Covery, the, the I2P router implementation, I think that's going to be a huge deal um, because that's going to get integrated directly into Monero, and it's going to obscure who's broadcasting these transactions. And as that gets used more and more, it's going to become more efficient. It's going to become able to be adopted by a bunch more different um, infrastructures. Like I was uh, chatting with a guy recently who works on um, uh, industrial, like basically uh, uh, computer equipment, modular computer equipment for factories. And they're talking about how the Internet of Things is extremely insecure because all of these security techniques are stuck in the 90s because no one expected that these devices would be exposed to the Internet. And so we were chatting recently about Covery, and he found that super interesting. So I think it's going to be applied to a wide range of different uh, applications. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, this black kind of like this blacklisting of potential blacklisting of inputs, or right? It's kind of yes. That's just a. Is that a recent? I've only heard of that recently, and now I'm hearing it again from you. Is that something that's just started to be talked about, or is that kind of always been a concern lurking in the background? So the very first paper that Monero Research Lab did was talking about uh, chain reaction analysis of a graph that, you know, such as is described by ring signatures or a bunch of ring signatures that are together. Um, Chain reaction is one thing. That's if you basically know, uh, like if you have, like, for example, a ton of view keys and you can look at the the blockchain, um, you know, that's sort of, um, that's one thing. But another thing is um, you can also... Uh, trace out a given person's usage. If, if I understand it correctly, you can trace out a given person's usage if you uh, control, um, well, basically, if a certain amount of the outputs that they're using are also tracked already. Um, so it's like a population sampling type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been under discussion for at least a year, probably about two years. And one, one way you might have heard it referred to is the EABE attack. Um, so it's uh, usually basically involving exchanges which have KYC AML controls on. So they know the identity of the people who are using them. They also know various information about the wallets of these people. Um, so you know they can start to trace out little things. Um, the other thing about that that's not actually blackballing though. That's um, what's referred to as poison outputs. Blackballing is or blacklisting. Uh, is probably referring to something that the wallet code is now doing to prevent users of these various Monero forks like Monero V and so on from causing the Monero network harm by using, by spending outputs that are connected to on Yeah, exactly. So, so they can end up de-anonymizing people who are using Monero, like, you know, not very likely, but you know, if this sort of thing becomes a norm, then I think it's, it's basically the reason why blacklisting was put in place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all this stuff is connected to ring signatures, and that's why Sarang said ring signatures are evil. And so this, 
these like kind of theoretical attacks against Bonero and de-anonymizing are these, would you see these as things that are like years away or that potentially could be happening now? Or, I mean, with, with Bitcoin, it's very obvious, right? I mean, right. There's, there's already companies out there that have analyzed the blockchain and could easily connect people to transactions. Um, right. With Monero, we're saying that it may technically be feasible, but is this like a down the line type of thing or like the technology you think is there and like the will to do it is already there? And well, so first of all, it takes a lot of computation power to do all this stuff. Um, I don't think that's really the limiting factor here though, because you know, some uh, attacker with lots of capital can harness a ton of computing power and they can just, you know, turn it to whatever they want to. Um, at least that's the sort of thing that we need to be able to defend against. Um, but I think the real limiting factor is who or how many parties have access to how much data. And if I understand it correctly, the research that's been coming out over the past couple of days or the analysis that's been coming out over the past couple of days indicates that it's generally extremely hard for, you know, this sort of um, de-anonymization to happen. You know, you need a relatively high threshold of, of uh, information. Um, so I, it's not really a concern for me at this point. Um, there, there have been papers that came out that have come out rather, uh, such as Monero Link, which talked about traceability, or sorry, I think it's linkability actually. I always get them confused, but, um, but yeah, yeah, even that was not a very scary thing, and it was something right. that the researchers researchers had known about for quite a while already. Right. I mean, I guess I'd be more concerned if the community just didn't really care about it, but it's, we obviously do and people are already researching it and trying to potentially work into work in solutions into future, uh, fork upgrades. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely have noticed that. I think Brian, uh, just ran in solos Monero, by the way, Brian, you still yes, there? Sorry. Yeah, I'm back. I, I got to <laughs> check for it, but, uh, <laughs> uh, Yes, yeah, so if you want to jump into, do uh, you want to talk about the app? We'd love to talk about the app. Yeah, so um, so going back to 2016, uh, you know, what I adopted was uh, an orphan web wallet, you know, the first web wallet that anyone had ever created from Monero. And there was definitely a need for it because you can't just, you know, well, with Monero, obviously, you have to scan the whole blockchain for any given view key um, in order to find your, your outputs. And so what someone had done is they implemented a way to keep the spend key in the browser and uh, have a server, you know, take custody of the view key and scan the blockchain for you, which is way faster than, you know, streaming everything to your browser or streaming everything to your mobile phone and then scanning it and caching it there. And then the spend key uh, can be used in the browser to create transactions and things like that so that your seed never has to leave your device. So that was 2014. The web wallet had been in operation for a few years, and that's what I adopted. And one of the things that Fluffy and I were talking about right away was that this is obviously not nearly as secure as it could be, because the executable code was being downloaded from the server. And so, you know, if someone had gone to like myminero.com, except the O has like a little dot because it's a special Unicode character, then they're actually visiting someone else's website and they're getting fished. And so we've actually had a few reports of people losing money and it's 99% of the time, you know, because they've gone to one of these phishing sites. 
and the other one percent is you know because they're in a cafe using my Monero and someone <laughs> over their shoulder or something. So so we were thinking, okay, we need to make downloadable applications where we can sign the build and we can make everything open source. So we decided the first thing we should do is desktop applications. So I set out to build a cross-platform desktop app, which uh, we released um, sort of like a soft launch of in May of 2017. I think it was May. And you know that was completely redesigned. Uh, it also included a few additional features like contacts and requests. Um, you can scan QR codes. Um, it's also multiple wallets. So it's basically like a little command center that you can have on your on your desktop and you can come back to it time and time again and everything will always be there and it's all encrypted and everything like that so um from there uh set out to build the app on ios and i didn't go cross-platform with with the framework that i was using to build that because i knew from experience that the the actual user experience of you know applications that are built on these other frameworks is generally subpar. And I want to be able to control the actual drawing that's happening, um, a lot of the lower level stuff. And so um, I just sprinted to, to build the iOS app, you know, supported the design to a fully native UI. Um, everything's written in Swift. And we ended up submitting that to the App Store and doing a really, really quiet soft launch and, you know, getting people's feedback and Got a ton of really, really good feedback. Uh, I was telling people recently at DEF CON, I really feel like I've only scratched the surface with the actual improvements to the user experience of transacting with Monero. And the stuff that we've launched so far has really just been sort of the platform that I was intending to, to build all these new features on. Um, and right now what I'm doing is building the Android application fully native, um, which I think is going to be pretty exciting. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. So what, because we, we followed this pretty closely. We were, we were like many in the Monero community, waiting uh, yeah. for an iOS app. Um, and then there were rumors that it just like, it couldn't be done. It was so difficult. And yeah. then um, Sorry, Cake, yeah. Cake Wallet came out of nowhere. Yeah. And we, we actually got very close with the Cake Wallet guy because we, we, uh, Vic, we reached out to him. Uh, he's a great guy, by the way. And, uh, we, we literally just wanted to buy him a beer because we were so happy that somebody launched an iOS wallet. And also, we just wanted to meet the guy because, like... Yeah, we had to gauge the trust. <laughs> yeah, we had yeah. to gauge the trust. And uh, Vic open-sourced it. He's he's done everything, like, perfectly in terms of, like, listening to the community, taking their feedback. He's yep. been iterating. Um and that was just amazing that he came out of the blue and just launched that because we were waiting. The My Monero app was there were rumors that it was coming out, and then I think the rumor was that uh, the you guys got rejected from the store or something. Or I completely forgot about that. We weren't rejected, but uh, it they just basically lost our paperwork and we got oh really wow okay people and. You know, we just basically needed to get in contact with a human, and it just took ages for some reason. Oh, it was simple as that, huh? That's yep. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, because, we I mean, people were just, like, waiting. Like, where is this app? Yeah. Um, so were there other issues with building it, or it was just... No. No, no, no. Uh, building it was extremely fast. Uh, the okay. first thing I did was just bridge the JavaScript core. You know, so I took the cryptography behind the browser build, and I just bridged it to Swift. And then from there, it's just a matter of building the UI. 
you know, aside from the networking code. Um, so it all happened, I think, in the span of about two months. Wow, but wow. then, yeah, but then, um, you know, we had to submit it and then that ended up putting it in a holding pattern for I don't know, six months or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. But I mean, hey, you know, if, uh, if you wanted an iOS app, you could probably just use free wallet. <laughs> Lose all your money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Cake Cake Wallet's great. I don't. Did you use Cake Wallet? Have you? Yeah, totally. So what what's what's different between you guys that's allowing you essentially to not have load times, right, or not have syncing? I know you kind of briefly explained it with the view key. Is that is that what's yeah, that's actually that's actually it. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's a question I get a lot as well. The the basic difference is that with these applications that are using the Monero Wallet 2 code, it's basically an existing piece of code in Monero. It, uh, the difference between apps that are using that and the My Monero style application is that they are all streaming the blocks from a, a, a node. Uh, it's unlikely that you have a node running on your own phone, so it's usually connecting to a remote node. And so they're streaming all the blocks down, they're scanning all of them with the view key locally, um, and then they're caching everything, they're saving everything locally. And so with this sort of light wallet style application like MyMonero, you have some sort of server, it doesn't have to be MyMonero, there are actually other servers that are in operation now, where uh, you disclose your view key to the server and it will do the scanning for you on its beefy server CPU or whatever. And then it'll just send you a very lightweight uh, like JSON or API style snippet back to you of the specific data that you need. Um, so, you know, one of the other benefits of that is if you switch to a new device, you just connect to the same server and it already knows who you are because of the view key. Right. Yeah. I kind of see like cake as being the bread. Are you familiar with bread wallet? Yeah. Bitcoin? Totally. Cake kind of being like the bread wallet of Monero yep. and uh, the my Monero app. I don't know what we would compare it to, but like, yeah, one of these yeah. are like a Jax or something. I, I think it might be closer in user experience to Electrum because, you know, Electrum sort of has that SPV style access, but obviously you don't, there isn't any kind of analog to SPV in Monero. So you have to scan everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. So is there potentially any sacrifice of, of privacy or security going about it this yeah, approach I mean, versus the cake wallet approach yeah like maybe you don't use my monero if um you know you want to use it for paying for you know your assassination on whoever but, <laughs> um but i mean we don't keep any logs but aside from that it is true that you know users are disclosing their view key to a third party okay i would say that there isn't an implicit privacy trade-off because you can just run your own server and you can go to settings in the iOS app or the desktop app and you just plug your own server in. Um, the other thing I wanna mention is that we do have plans to basically merge the two worlds by putting a different mode on the API where it'll stream blocks to your client and you can scan those blocks. So, you know, if, um, if you wanted to switch between modes or, you know, something like that where, you know, suddenly, you know, you wanna take on that burden, then that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. That's great. No, I think it's great that you guys, you got cake and you guys coexist and you're both slick because you definitely need that usability component in Monero. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in the little research I did about you, it seems like you're 
you're definitely an expert in that field as well. Like you were saying with those other apps you've worked on. Um, so is that, is that something that's really core to my Monero, the, the yeah. usability and making kind of making Monero an everyday current? Cause it's definitely, that's not the, not, it hasn't been that way up in, up until recently where you could even use Monero unless you had some pretty good understanding of yeah, like, like how to run a client on your desktop and right. CLI. command line and all that stuff. So what, what, what are you doing to move things in that direction? Totally. So, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, people have the option of running their own server. So one of the big things that we've done recently is we actually uh, made a pull request to Monero itself to open source a version of our server that anyone can run at home. So now you don't have to, you know, deploy something like, um, I mean, you could still deploy something like open Monero, but at least there's another option for people now. Um, one of the other huge things that I'm excited about is on-ramps and off-ramps because, you know, I, I talk to people about Monero all the time, try to get them involved, try to get them to let me pay them in Monero, like if, um, you know, if like they do some small service or something like that, um, just an alternative to PayPal, basically, or Venmo, God forbid. Uh, you know, and um, it's, it's tough for them because uh, there are a lot of new concepts. And so I think that there's definitely a niche for these applications that are primarily for pro users. You know, they're specifically for pro users. Um, but, you know, a large part of what we do is introducing these concepts in a very approachable way. And I think part of that is also the ability for people to exchange back and forth really easily. So we're looking at partnerships right now. Uh, for exchanging back and forth. Like, for example, if you want to be able to pay someone who has a Bitcoin address, but you hold, you know, you, you store your, your money in Monero, then, uh, you know, you just would be able to plug in a Bitcoin address and it would sort of seamlessly do that exchange for you behind the scenes. Um, another thing that would be cool is to, to fund your account in like ETH or, or Bitcoin or something like that. Awesome. Yeah, and I think Cake uh, uses Morph token, and yep. they effectively do that. Yep. That's very cool. Yeah, anything else? I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, I could just keep going. <laughs> just keep talking. No, to, yeah, in terms of the whole usability, I'm, I'd just be interested in your thoughts on on where you see how to, how to make crypto more usable and more of a currency versus... Yeah. Do you, do you think Monero needs to move in that direction? Like Bitcoin has kind of settled upon, you know, whether or not it's because of the tech and where they are. But right now, you know, Bitcoin is digital gold, right? Which is convenient because, oh, it's digital gold. You don't even need to it, $10 transaction fees. Who cares? It's digital gold. Why, why do you care if you're spending 10 bucks to send, you know, $100,000 around the globe, you know, relatively instantly? Um but Monero, I feel like, is more about we want to actually be a transactional currency. I mean, Bitcoin, too, eventually, right? It's about settling back on the chain. But so where do you see, do you think that is essential for Monero and like where we need to go? Or could we also play the digital gold card for a while and be like, well, we're even more digital gold than Bitcoin is because we're actually fungible. and. Right. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Well, you might have heard Fluffy say before that you know Monero primarily only works if people are actually using it. 
And that's largely due to the whole ring signature uh, technology. Right. The more people who contribute to the anonymity set, the better the anonymity characteristics are. Um, but I, I think um, I think generally it needs to be a medium of exchange. You know, that's what it's for. And uh, getting into it now is difficult in and of itself. But there's also, you know, um, there's also the fact that it's um, it, it can be a little bit difficult to actually do transactions with people. You know, you have to get someone's address. All of that stuff has to be exchanged. It has to all be correct. Uh, so we're definitely looking at ways to solve that in the application. Um, another thing that I'm really interested in is uh, basically physical bearer bonds for Monero. Because you, in order to get someone involved in Monero or in order, for, in order to transact with someone, you need to know their address, which means they need to already have a Bitcoin or rather a Monero wallet. So um, if that's the case, it means they have to learn about Monero. They have to learn how, you know, from the basic perspective, how it works and what it means to receive money to a specific address. But if we have a physical bearer bond or physical bearer token of some kind, I could just give that to someone. That's like Open Dime. Are you familiar with that? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same kind of concept as Open Dime. I think um, OpenDime is very interesting. It has some drawbacks, like people can't just create them at home, so to speak. Um, you know, the more open that stuff gets, the better, and the more refined the technology gets, the better. I think it'd also be interesting to look at options where the item doesn't have to be physically broken, but I'm not sure how to solve that problem yet. Um, but, you know, if you could just imagine being able to, like, you know, meet someone on the street or whatever, and you just give them Monero directly. It's kind of kind of a huge idea. So, so there's all sorts of stuff like that. You know, things to bridge the gap to make transaction more efficient, more seamless. Um, and there are also lots of new use cases that are emerging. Uh, technologies that are being built on Monero, things like Tari, for example. Uh, these use cases of digital assets and you don't really have to worry about the, the so-called Oracle problem of like, how do you connect something digital to the real world? Because they're focusing specifically on digital assets and they're using Monero for it because they, they really need a sound base layer. So I think all of these things are going to fold back into Monero sooner or later, and they're all generally going to improve the usability of it. And, and I totally do think that that's where Monero needs to go and, I think that's where, I think that's where they've wanted to go, but I think they've done something very smart over the years by focusing on the technology and the soundness of you know the, the base layer, because um, all of these applications can come later. Right. Yeah. They didn't put the cart before the horse. They just yeah. focused on the. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that logic. You know, we see a lot of other crypto projects. They their yeah. philosophy is just move fast, maybe break stuff. You know. Totally. Monero, Monero has taken the complete opposite approach, even beyond Bitcoin, in that it wasn't easy to use for a long time until only recently we had iPhone wallets. Yep. Uh, it's only made it stronger and it's made the community more educated. Everyone's more in line with the philosophy of it, you know? And that's why I think we'll be able to hard fork for a long time in the future without a chance of a split. Although Monero Original was hilarious to watch. <laughs> Monero Original. Yeah, check the, the OG Monero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Brian, you, you were even saying, I don't know, 
your your theory of like like the fluffy kind of was consciously um you know kind of passing that message on to the community or like intentionally doing things to kind of slow slow down the usability aspects or saying things like you know don't buy monero right like yeah or keep keeping like letting it develop slowly in terms of usability while while the actual protocol was being built uh but even to this day i mean yeah it does it I don't know. Do you think he consciously was kind of steering, steering the ship in that, in that manner, which I think is a great, it it makes sense. Cause I mean, you could, you could still fork Monero every six, every six months. I think he wanted to be sure people knew what they were buying. Yeah. He didn't want to be a shill or marketer and say, buy this is the new Bitcoin, you know, Mm. and, and people actually researched what it was more so than, you know, these other crypto assets they buy and, and don't know why they disappear. Right. So I think that was a great move. And if he did it intentionally for that purpose, then he's even more of a, a mastermind than we give him credit for. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think he's definitely doing that. And I think he's also interested in making sure that the people who are in the community are actually interested in Monero itself and not just trying to pump it and dump it. You know, mm-hmm. like people speculating and, you know, those people would, you know, I, I don't want to generalize too much, but. You know, they're going to make choices on the basis of what's profitable instead of what's actually important for the currency. And, you know, in that sense, they might have they might have tried to push people to to build a GUI instead because, hey, that's what's going to pump the price or whatever. Right. Yeah, I think I think you see that in the price of Monero itself. Like it's it's kind of been a more organic, steady climb versus yeah. some of these other coins. And that certainly helps keep people in the game because if you get in at the at the right time, it's great. But if you get in at the wrong time and you you know you lose eighty percent of your wealth within three months, then you kind of want nothing to do with that coin ever again. Right. Whereas like Monero's kind of avoids I mean it has obviously its crypto swings, but not well, compared to some of these other the projects. Best thing I think to point out when you look at, at volatility in Monero and the price, if you just zoom out, it's been on this steady uptrend. You'll notice the majority of vaults that you look at, they have these moonshot pumps, they crash 95%. Then they settle and frolic along like 10% above where they ever started. But if you look at Monero on a zoomed out view, it's been on this steady climb, even with this latest crash. You know, it bounced off that one trend line of like just around 13 you know, 0.013 against Bitcoin. I mean, it just shows you that the, the community is, is growing around Monero and it's not just exactly. by night, you know. Yeah, I think, it's, it. I think it's due to the actual usage. Uh, you know, I think there's actual usage of Monero as opposed to just speculation. I will say there is, the, but there, we're, it's going to be hard to overcome that issue of not wanting to spend your Monero, right? Like, so, so you've been, you said you pay your people in Monero, but I don't know, do you, do you kind of like, is it that you take USD, put it into Monero and pay them, or you're just spending your Monero? Cause I know like recently I had to pay somebody and it was like, you know, we're kind of hitting, we're hitting a bear market. I was like, I really don't want to spend my Monero, right? Like, you know, like, and that's real. I mean, I think a lot of people feel that, right? It's like, I'd rather, not spend my Monero. But like, how are you going to dump your bag on, on the next person? <laughs> you got to do that somehow. We have three no, I, more fluffy exits. Yeah, 2023. So we uh, have five years. <laughs> but I think that's definitely an issue. I mean, that's like kind of a, where a lot of the hesitation comes in with, with well, spending this stuff. I mean, I think, I think that um, 
people who feel that way probably have a little bit too much money in Monero. Probably. Um, I mean, yes and no. You know, I I think that um, whenever it comes to this kind of asset, you probably have to look at it as two different types of assets. You probably have to look at it both as a store of value and also as a, a currency that you need to use continuously. And, uh, you know, generally it's not a huge issue so far because, um, like for example, people will send me test amounts of Monero to test the wallet and, you know, it'll just sit there for a while. And, you know, a year later I'll, I'll notice that I have this other wallet that has one Monero in it and suddenly that's worth $200 or whatever. And whenever there's a service I need to pay for or a good or something like that, I'll just price it at the time of the exchange. And so, you know, in that sense, it, it works fine because if I really wanted to use it as a speculative asset, I could just re-up at the same time. And so I think it's mostly a question of how easy it is for people to access it or for people to purchase it. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if you can make it kind of a, a seamless flow from dollar to Monero. Right. right. Yeah. Then it, it wouldn't really be an issue anymore. Right. So how was it when uh, Fluffy left? Was that uh, was that something you guys he had like give everybody warning about or? Oh, for was for, it all? Yeah, when he well, because he I guess he moved on to Tari, right? And then, well, are you... he's still working on Monero. You know, he's still involved. You see him on IRC every now and then. Uh, it's just that you know, for example, he was a lead maintainer, or he still is a lead maintainer, but he's delegated some of his maintenance duties. You know, like for example, Luigi is now the maintainer of the GUI repository. Mm-hmm. He's merging a bunch of stuff. He might even be uh, maintaining other repositories as well. Um, but is you know, My Monero a company that it's a company, right? The My yeah. Monero. So it's is so and, is it solely owned by Fluffy or? No, he and I are co-owners. So that's okay. what happened in 2016. He brought What's me on. And, yeah, in 2016, he brought me on as a partner. And so gotcha. I became a shareholder at that point. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's a company. And yeah, uh, basically at that point, he dumped a huge amount of responsibility onto me. And uh, I was lucky to, to have some access to him at the time because I had a whole ton of questions about what to do. And periodically, uh, you know, we still have conferences and things like that where, you know, we discuss what we're going to do for the next quarter. Um, but, he, you know, he's generally traveling around talking about Monero or these days he's relatively busy working on Tari. But you still do see him, especially if there's an issue. You'll see him on Reddit or you'll see him on IRC. Um, but I think what's really interesting is that even though he stepped back a bit from the actual day to day, everything's still going fine. You know, you know, he didn't really play such a crucial role um, in terms of the actual technical discussion that, you know, there was no one else that could possibly have filled those shoes, um, even though he's highly respected for his views on networking and security and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just shows you how talented everybody in the developer space in Monero is, that they could, you know, come in, not miss a beat. Ricardo was good enough to pass it on to the right people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely, it's definitely part of the culture of Monero that everyone has to contribute. And if no one contributed, then Monero would die. You know, it, it lives or dies by contributions. And, you know, there's that and there's the, the, 
I think the sort of like hopeful aspect to Monero that we can hard fork as sort of a security or a technology upgrade. And it's, it's, it's part of, I can almost say it's part of the social covenant that that's what we're going to do. Right. And I, I think the entire community currently is on board with that. You know, Doug and I were talking about, uh, we, we had a pretty loaded question on our last show about whether we thought there would only be one coin or multiple coins. And, uh, you know, we were talking this morning and, you know, we agree that there'll be multiple coins, you know, solving some different use cases here and there. Like Monero will be the fungible anonymous coin. I don't see that happening on Bitcoin anytime in the near future. Um, you know, it's just so hard to form a consensus around anything, you know, with miners and devs. And so uh, I think that's a huge edge that can't be overlooked. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, that's that's really what resurrected Litecoin last year was the fact that Charlie Lee could navigate the uh, political pitfalls and, and get SegWit adopted. But um, I think I think Monero having that edge and with it, you know, they could they could really stay ahead. And I, I don't ever see that becoming a. A major threat i think where the threat to bitcoin's network effect and, and not really the other way around mm, that's interesting yeah it sounds right to me um i wouldn't be able to say that there there can't be other projects that come up but i think i see the argument that there's the efficiency of just keeping you know uh value in a specific currency because there's no reason that you would you know, if it's doing all of those things fine, there's no reason why a person would want to exchange out. Right. Yeah. The 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 things Doug Doug and I were talking about this morning that, you know, they a lot of Bitcoin maximalists, and I'm I'm mostly a Bitcoin maximalist, but I do I'm a huge fan of Monero, and I, you know, I follow it closely. Um, a lot of people say, well, eventually, you know, Bitcoin or the one coin that that rules the whole sphere will have all of those use cases. But with so many new use cases popping up and Bitcoin moving so slowly to adopt them, you'll always have these other coins that can just move faster. They'll always have the, all right, we have this new use case. And whether it's one coin that keeps updating faster than Bitcoin because the community is just supporting it, or if it's these new startup coins, you're always going to have this alt sector. Mm -hmm. I don't really see that going away. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, can you guys excuse me for one sec? My laptop's battery is dying. Sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll be right back. Hmm. Doug, I actually I have to run out in a little bit. I gotta meet the fam for dinner. Oh yeah, we'll uh we'll call it when he gets back, we'll let him know. Okay, cool. You this ready been cool, huh? Yeah, man. Can't we wait. Should, we should stream from the beach on like uh you know Saturday. There's good weather. All right, I'm back. Let's sort of make, only make once. All right, stop bashing Paul. <laughs> <laughs> what? Huh? Uh, yeah. So listen, uh, I have to. I have to run. I have to meet my uh, family out for dinner. But cool. uh, yeah, but thank, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. We yeah, absolutely. You think maybe we could uh, touch back with you in like a few months or so, or? Totally. I think what? I'll have a lot more news then. Uh, we've been working on a lot of stuff that's basically under wraps and. You know, everything is just about to be launched and um, it's going to be more exciting. So, yeah, that would be a ton of fun. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. This is great. Good to chat with you guys. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Ciao. See you guys.